so glad that so many of you are here this morning. About a week ago, uh, we celebrated uh, what is by far one of my uh, favorite holidays, and uh, that holiday is Thanksgiving. And as I was preparing for this message uh, this week, we're, we're actually starting a new series this week, but as I was preparing for that, I began to think about um, Thanksgiving. And really, I began to think about the fact that our country really, truly is rooted in God, and our country really, truly is rooted in Christianity. I mean, the whole reason, when you think about it, that the pilgrims set sail to this land in the first place was so that they could worship God freely uh, in the way that they saw fit. You know, then when we look at our founding fathers and we look at so many of the, the documents that they wrote along with the, the laws that were put into place when they founded this nation, also all of that points to the fact that this nation is rooted in God and, and, and in Christianity. And, and now I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but many of the first colleges, many of the first universities that were, were founded in this nation were set up in this that were set up in this country were set up as Christian schools. In fact, Harvard, uh, our nation's oldest college, was uh, started in 1636. Was actually started to train ministers uh, in, in preaching the Bible to the new colonies that were being formed all over the United States. And you know, all throughout the Northeast, right? We had these big old beautiful churches that just represent the the Christian heritage of this country. But what you also see is that many of these old churches are empty and most of them are spiritually dead and only a handful of them actually preach God's word. As a matter of fact, uh, this is a picture. Joe, if you could go ahead and throw that up there real quick. This is a picture um, of our nation's first Episcopal church. Let's see if it's up there. There we go. Uh, which decided a few years ago, what they did was they took the cross off the front of their building because the cross was no longer relevant to them. And so what they did, they decided to replace the cross with a nautilus because in their minds, faith is always evolving and faith is always growing and faith is always changing. But listen, when the cross is gone, the Spirit of God is gone. And you say, well, how does something like that happen? You know, I mean, how does a nation, right, how do things continue to happen like that? Well, slowly over time, what happened was pastors began to, to drift away from preaching God's word. Colleges slowly begin to shift towards a secular mindset, right? Secularists begin to push Christianity not only out of our colleges, but out of our, our government and out of our major cities and even, even out of our churches. And you might ask the question then, well, what has all of that, where has all of that taken us? Where has that led us to? Well, today, if you were to pick up a, a newspaper or go online to a, you know, any news site on any given day, you're going to read all kinds of things, right? You, you're going to read about things like terrorist activity, even in our own nation. You're going to read of racial unrest and violence, and you, you realize that we are now a nation that is killing the unborn, and that is accepted and sometimes even ignored. And, and you realize that, that God's definition of marriage is constantly being altered, and then you look around and you see places like Syria and Iraq and just complete disarray and just, you know, just refugees coming from all over the world from those nations because they've got to flee those countries. And, and you hear of Islamic terrorists where, where Christians are being tortured and Christians are being beheaded. And you look at all of that and you ask, why? Like, who, whose fault is this? I mean, how in the world did our nation and our, our, our world get to such a dark place? It would be easy for us to point fingers. It would be easy for us to play the blame game, which really, quite honestly, never gets us anywhere really productive. But here's the truth of the matter. This is a quote from a, a guy named Ronnie Floyd, and here's what he says. He says, We are where we are in America, 
and in the world because so many people are spiritually lost and in deep need of the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Right, that's a fact. I mean, that is a fact. You can spin it any way you want to try and spin it, but there's absolutely no other answer that makes any sense. We are where we are in America and in the world because so many people are spiritually lost and in deep need of the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. But here's another fact this morning, church. God is still on the throne, and God is still at work in the lives of people all over the world, continuing to redeem our country and to redeem our world through the message and the power of Jesus Christ. And, and some of you might be sitting here thinking, well, well, how can you be so sure of this, Rick? Well, in John chapter 1, the Apostle John, through the Bible, makes this announcement. And here's what he says. If you got your Bibles this morning, go ahead and, and pull them out. We're going to be in John chapter 1. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. But John the Apostle, he's writing this. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that through him everyone might believe. He himself was not the light, but he came as a witness to testify about the light. The true light, who gives light to every man, was coming into the world. You see, as a result of the darkness of sin that exists in our world today, and not only today, but throughout all of the ages, the Bible tells us that God sent Jesus Christ into the world to be his light. Now, over 700 years before Jesus was actually born, God told the prophet Isaiah to make an announcement to the nation of Israel that a light was coming into the world that would not only lead the people of Israel out of darkness, but it would serve as a light to the Gentiles. God was bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. And then you fast forward like 700 plus years to the New Testament. And in Luke chapter 2, you see Joseph and Mary. And they're walking into the temple in, in Jerusalem. And you're introduced to a man by the name of Simeon who, who takes Jesus into his arms. And he, he says this about Jesus. He says, I can, I can now die in peace, Lord, as you promised me. He says, I've seen the Savior that you've, you've given to all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of your people, Israel. And so with Jesus in his arms, Simeon announces to the world that God has now made good on his promise to Israel and to the world. That he has sent his light into the world and the, that light would reveal God to the nations that a Savior has been born for all people all over the world. Here's how the Apostle Paul describes Jesus. In the book of Colossians, Paul writes that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And here's how the author of Hebrews describes Jesus. He says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature, upholding all things by his powerful word. You see, the people of the Old Testament and even the New Testament were aware that God was going to send a light into the world. But what he actually did was he sent a reflection of himself. You see, he sent a living light that would radiate his glory to all mankind. In other words, Jesus, the light of God. Now, no other person can claim that title, right? No other person that has ever walked the face of the earth can actually call themselves the image of the invisible God or, or the radiance of the glory of God or the exact imprint of God except for Jesus. See, God sent him to this earth to be 
his light. Now, with all of that that I've said already, what, I mean, what, why does the world actually need a light? You know, why, why was this important? Why was this needed? Well, as I've said before, the world is lost in darkness. But Jesus made an announcement in John chapter 8, and he, he said this to the people. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, Jesus called himself the light of the world. And Jesus promised that those who became his followers, that those who were his followers would never have to be lost in spiritual darkness. And he actually kind of lays it out this way, just very simply. Jesus said, those who receive me as Savior will receive spiritual life. But those who reject me as Savior, he says, will continue to live in spiritual darkness. Now right now in the world, there's roughly about 7 billion people. And it's estimated that about 3 billion people have never heard that Jesus Christ came to earth to die on a cross, to raise from the dead, to forgive them of their sins, and to rescue them from spiritual darkness. There's a, there's a lot of stats from, from church experts that will state that most of the world has never truly put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ to be their Savior. Those same stats, they go on to tell us that, that out of about roughly 300 million Americans, more than three out of four do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you what that means. It means that more than three-quarters of our nation, they're living in spiritual darkness. It means that most of the world does not have the Holy Spirit of God actually living inside of them, doesn't have the Holy Spirit of God leading them in any way, shape, or form. Most of the world is lost in, in darkness. And so therefore, you know, as, as followers of Christ, it should not surprise us at all when these dark, sinful things are happening all around us. Now let me give you just this morning just a few interesting facts about darkness. Number one is this, is that darkness just loves darkness, right? It's very simple. John 3.19 says, And this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness more than light because their deeds were evil. You see, those who do not believe and do not trust in Jesus Christ as, your, as their Savior, you need to understand this morning that they don't have like this neutral standing with God. And they certainly don't have a positive standing with God. The Bible says that they've actually been judged by God and they've been condemned to eternal separation from God. And you say, well, how is that? Well, see, the light of God has come into the world. And what he's done is he's offered everyone an opportunity to actually be delivered from spiritual darkness. And, but the Bible says that men love darkness more than they like the light. And as a result, what happens is they reject the light and they choose to do evil things. And, and then it goes on to say that, that darkness actually has a fear to be exposed by the light. Verse 20 says, Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. According to the Justice Department, they say that three out of five crimes happen at night. You say, well, why is that? Well, because it's easier to get away with evil, right, when there is no light. Think about this. The last thing that a criminal wants to have happen is to be exposed by the light. And the Bible actually says that those who do evil in this world are not just going to reject Jesus Christ, they're actually going to hate him. They're not going to come to him because they're not going to want their sin to be exposed for what it is, which is just evil. Because they love evil and they hate the light. That's a very sobering reality of the world that we actually live in. But let me give you some good news about darkness this morning. And that is this, is that darkness does not overcome the light. 
right? John chapter one, verse five says, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. You see, even though we live with, with darkness all around us, right, the light of Jesus Christ is shining into the darkness, and as long as there is light, there is always hope. Listen, darkness does not overcome the light. And as long as Jesus Christ is still sitting on the throne in heaven and the Holy Spirit is still present here on this earth, the light of Christ will always be shining in the darkness. Always. Now before I move on from the darkness this morning, I, I feel like I need to address something. And, and, and I would say that this is a major issue. This is really, it's a major problem. Is that there are still too many people who proclaim to be Christians who still walk in the darkness. In other words, you, you claim to have the light of Jesus Christ inside of you, but your actions consistently say that you're still walking in darkness. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 talks about it this way, and here's what it says. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie, it says, and we do not practice the truth. Now, I know that sounds very harsh, but here's the truth. Is that where there's light, there's going to be a lack of darkness. Right? Where there is a relationship with light, there's going to be an absence of darkness because darkness is actually the absence of light. You see, the Bible tells us that if we're in true fellowship with the light, if we're in true fellowship with Jesus Christ, but yet we still continuously choose to walk in the darkness, then chances are we're lying and we're deceiving ourselves that we're actually Christians. Now let me make this clear this morning. Does that mean that if I sin, I'm not a Christian? No. <laughs> right? That's not the case at all. If that was the case, then we'd all be in trouble. But it does mean that if you continue to sin and it just doesn't bother you, you continue to sin, there's just no guilt at all. As a matter of fact, maybe you even embrace the darkness, then there's a chance that you're fooling yourself about your relationship with Jesus Christ. However, if, if you're a Christian, I want you to listen to what the Bible continues to say in 1 John. Right? It says if we walk in the light, we're gonna grow and we're going to become more like Jesus, and the light is going to continue to expose more and more sin in our life, more and more imperfections. And, and since the Bible says, and I love this, that, that God is slow to anger, that he's abounding in persistent love towards us, he goes on in 1 John 1, 9, and he says this. He says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. <laughs> now that's good news, <laughs> Because I still sin. I don't know about you. Actually, I do know about you, right? We all still sin, don't we? Right, but thankfully, look, when, when I sin, it just, I mean, it just eats me up inside because I don't want to hurt my relationship with God and I certainly don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. Because see, I just want to keep growing in my relationship with Jesus and I want to sin less as I continue to grow. But the beauty is, right, that when I sin, God says, confess it to me. He says, repent of your sin, which means to, to change your mind and turn away from it. He says, and I promise you that I'm going to keep forgiving you and just keep cleaning you up on the inside. So listen, to, to say that you have the light of Christ inside of you, and you're totally embracing the darkness without any remorse, or you're embracing the darkness without any guilt or any sorrow, 
Or again, you've gotten to the place where it's just not an issue anymore. It's not, just not a, a major problem for you this morning. It's a catastrophic problem for you today. And listen, I tell you that out of love because here's the thing. I don't want any of you to miss out on what God has for you. See, what, what, what Jesus came to do, right, to give his life for you. Listen, th- this world is, is lost in darkness. And what this world needs more than anything else is to see the light of Jesus actually shining in our lives, not for us to be participating in the darkness. What the world needs to see is the real deal. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, we're actually called to let our light shine before others so that our lives would point people to God. Now, some of you might be sitting here again this morning thinking, well, all right, well, well, what about this light? You know, like, why should I embrace this light? What, what's so important about this light? What would, the, what would the light of God do for me today? Well, first of all, the light can bring you out of the darkness and can actually give you light. John 12, 46 says this, I've come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. You know, one of the most amazing things about Christmas is this, that God actually left heaven... He entered into the darkness of our world, taking on the form of a man so that he could make a way for us to escape from this dark world and for him to offer us eternal life. See, God sent his only son, Jesus, right, to suffer and to die and to pay the penalty for our sins. And he did that to make God's gift of eternal life available to anyone who would put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ alone to be their personal Savior. And so if you're feeling lost in the darkness, if you're feeling lost in the darkness of the world, lost in the darkness of your own sin, listen, I want you to know this morning that Jesus came as a light to lead you out of that towards eternal life. Don't reject that offer. Second thing is that the light can serve as a guide for your life. You know, one of the things that light does is it illuminates the darkness in front of you. I don't know if any of you have ever been caught, you know, driving your car or your truck in like a blinding snowstorm before, right? And you know your headlights are only going to allow you to, to see so far in front of you, maybe just a few feet in front of your car. But you also know that without those lights, you'd be in serious trouble, right? I mean, if all of a sudden those lights went out, you'd probably drive off into a ditch or you'd spin out or, or something like that. But what those lights are doing is those lights are guiding you so that you can stay on the road. You know, sometimes life can feel like a blinding blizzard. I mean, there are just moments when you feel like you've got no idea which direction to go in. You've got no idea if you're actually even going in the right direction. You know, sometimes you would just like God to just verbally or audibly say something to you to point you in the right direction. Here's the truth. God gave us his word to serve as a guide for our lives. When we read the Bible, the voice of God is actually speaking to us. Here's how the Bible describes it in Psalm 119. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You see, since God and and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one, they wrote these words for us. They're all working together. It's all working together to guide us as we read his book, as we read the scriptures. Right, the Bible actually lights up the path in front of us and gives us a clear direction. It serves as a guide. But I want to give you some caution this morning. Because see, darkness likes to disguise itself as light. You know, one of the toughest things about being a parent today is the constant pressure of evaluating whether or not something is right or something is wrong. 
evaluating whether or not it's actually light or, or dark. And what makes it so much tougher uh, so often is, is that a lot of times the darkness disguises itself as light. And it does a very good job of it. I mean, it's scary out there. But that's why it's so important as parents that we're actually in the Word of God every day. Right? Because through His Word, God not only has the ability to help you make wise decisions for your kids, but also to help you to expose and to avoid the fake lights that are out there. You know, as a pastor... I would be absolutely foolish to make decisions for this church without God's word guiding me. Why? Because there's all kinds of dark things in front of me out there disguised as light. You say, well, how do you know the difference? Well, here's what you do is you put everything through the filter of God's word. And as you put everything through the filter of God's word, here's what it'll do. It will expose the darkness. The light of God can also protect you from the darkness. You know, there's many in this room and, and even folks who are watching online today who are afraid right now because of the, the things that are going on in the world today. I mean, there's no doubt that we are living in, in some crazy times. But, but listen to what the Bible says about the light of God, Jesus. Psalm 27, verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. He says, Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? See, as followers of Jesus Christ, listen, we don't have to walk through this life walking in fear. Right? The Bible says that he's our light. The Bible says he's our rescuer. He's our salvation. He's our stronghold. And the writer of Psalms, King David, goes on to say, In the midst of evil, he will actually remain confident. And so look, as followers of Jesus Christ, our confidence you need to understand this morning doesn't rest in the next president of the United States. As wonderful as our military is, our confidence doesn't rest there. Our confidence rests in the Lord alone. And what it does is it grows as we watch God deliver us from one thing to the next. And as he does that, we realize, you know, we say, Lord, as you deliver me from one thing to the next, I can put my confidence in you because, Lord, you are my stronghold. The light of God is also our source of hope for the future. You know, hope is such an important element of life because when, when you have hope, you can keep going through whatever life brings your way. You know, hope is what gets you through the dark times. Listen, right now we, we live in a world where a lot of people have lost hope. You know, for some people the darkness is almost too much to bear. They're just ready to throw in the towel, give up, and yet as followers of Jesus Christ, right, we know that, that we live with hope. Because in the midst of darkness, what happened? Jesus came in the greatest form of a light, right? Let me read to you how God describes it. This is a prophecy that was written some 740 years before the birth of Jesus Christ from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 says this. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from this time and forevermore. He says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. 
Now, when Isaiah gave this prophecy to the northern kingdom of Israel, they had just been invaded by a ruthless Assyrian king named Tiglath-Pileser III. Israel had just been overtaken by Assyria, which today would have been known as Syria and Iraq. You've kind of put them together and you've got Assyria. However, Isaiah announced in a word, he announced Noel, which means good news. And he announced that one day soon, that people who were walking in the darkness, that they would see a great light. That a light would deliver the people from the darkness. That he would be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. And to the Israelites, this would have been a message of just incredible hope that a Messiah was coming. That a deliverer was on the way. That finally a king would be able to lead them. Isaiah said that there was a great light on their horizon. That there was a symbol of hope. But if you look more closely at that promise that Isaiah made, you realize that this promise wasn't just a promise for the nation of Israel. That this was a promise for all mankind, Jew and Gentile alike. Listen, the the great light Jesus has come. And our hope lies in the fact that he is coming back again. And when he comes back again, he will wipe away the darkness forever. He will set up his government and there will be no end to his reign. That's our hope this morning. Jesus, the light of God, is our hope. And my question for you today is have you allowed the light of God to shine his light into your life and into your heart? Let's pray this morning. Father God, we just come before you.